morning, everyone. My name is Ginny. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel. And between the holidays and COVID and surprise of all surprises, snow, I feel like I haven't seen you all or been here in a very long time. Uh, we got over COVID in my house last week, and I'm glad to be here and not there. Um, it's really good to be with you. So we are starting in Luke's gospel this morning. Um, As many of you know, and maybe some of you don't, we follow the liturgical calendar. And in that, we follow the lectionary texts for the liturgical year. So that means uh, an ancient, ancient old people decided for us what our texts were going to be when we preach on Sunday mornings and we study on Sundays together. And each year has like a gospel that it kind of leans into throughout the year. So we have your A, B, and C. And so we go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and this year is Luke. If you are wondering, which someone asked me a few weeks ago, what about John? John is special. John gets, John gets in every year. He's spread throughout the year and for most of the season of Lent, so um, he's like the special, the, um, you know, the, the, the most favorite. And everyone else just gets kind of a year to have the spotlight shown on them. So this year is Luke. And if, if you've been with us for a while, for like over a year, you know that we were in Mark last year and we studied a lot about Mark and uh, learned about what Jesus was like in Mark's gospel. So we're going to do that in Luke this year, kind of spread all throughout the year. And I'm really excited about this. So this text is of particular importance, I think, to Luke. And before we get into that, I'll say a few more things about about Luke and this gospel in and of itself. But just to say, today's sermon may feel less like a sermon and more like um, a lesson or a study. And I just want to say that that is also worship. And that is very good. And what study does for us, actually, is it makes us not just come to church on Sunday mornings and feel motivated um, or excited and then kind of not have roots throughout the week. Not that that's typically what we do, because I think we do a lot of study here. But what study really does for us, and why I want you to be excited about this morning with me, is that study kind of like sinks these things down into us in a way that we carry them with us throughout our week, so that when you go to your Bible and you open a gospel, even if it's not Luke, wherever it is, that you have a little bit more, uh, a few more tools to take with you into that gospel, so that when, when you read it, you can feel the presence, not just of the Spirit, but of the church, of us alongside you in that text, reading alongside you and and trying to hear from the Lord on that. So, y'all ready for Luke? Okay. Here's a few things I'll say about Luke that I think is really helpful before we get into this text in particular. Um, Luke is the literary artist of the New Testament. He uses like the most eloquent Greek, uh, which may not matter to a lot of us. I didn't study Greek. I don't care about it that much. Um, But it's cool to know that this text that you're reading translated into your language um, was written really eloquently, really beautifully, and like an artist would write. Uh, what we do know, what we can see without you know, knowing Greek, is that Luke also writes stories that feel that way. Uh, there are stories in Luke that uh, you and I probably know, even if you haven't been in the church for a long time, these stories that are really gripping and have great details. And for some of us, when, you know, a lot, a lot of people, if you ask them, what's your favorite story in the Bible, that probably uh, for a lot of us, they come from Luke. So for example, um, the shepherds visiting Jesus at his birth, we get that from Luke and nowhere else. Uh, the prodigal son, which is a, a text that some people, like, they come to the Lord through that text, you know? Um, also, the Good Samaritan, a story that almost anyone knows, you know? You don't have to be in the church at all. So all of these things come from Luke. He's like a master storyteller. So we get a lot of really good stories in the Gospel of Luke, a lot of really wonderful parables. 
Luke also takes a very scholarly approach. So if you're afraid this is going to be like, uh, you know, long form poetry, it's not at all, actually. Luke, in the very beginning of the text, um, says things like, this is an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And he says things like, I did a lot of research to get here. <laughs> so if you like um, you know, informed research, Luke is here to do that, and he's going to tell it to you beautifully. And that's the really interesting thing about Luke. Uh, Luke is a book to be studied. If you remember last year, we talked a lot about Mark, and in Mark, we talked about how it's sort of like an urgent book for people in a hurry. It's the shortest of all the Gospels. He uses the word immediately, more than all the other Gospels combined, and Luke is here to be slow and steady and studied. It's the kind of Gospel to read under like lamplight with like 12 commentaries, you know? Um, so that's, that's if you have like a mindset for where we are this year, that's the kind of mindset to go into. Luke, like all the Gospels, is distinct in its own way. Um, one of those ways is it has different thematic emphases than the rest of the Gospels. The Holy Spirit is one of those. And not that the Holy Spirit is absent from the rest of the Gospels, but you will hear about the Holy Spirit constantly in the book of Luke. Even just here, we mentioned the Spirit like three different times. Um, so we're going to talk a lot this year about the Holy Spirit. Something else, and can I get an amen, um, that Luke likes to talk about is women. Amen. Women disciples in the Gospel of Luke. There's no like um, s distinction really between men and women in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is very clear that the Holy Spirit has come and with Jesus' ministry, women are equally equipped not only to minister but to live life uh, alongside men and are empowered in that way. Uh, women are just as present as male disciples uh, in following Jesus. There are also, Luke mentions, a lot of rich women who gave to Jesus' ministry, which is super cool. Um, for those of you rich women out there. <laughs> um, it also, like I said, has these stories, these literary moments that are unique to Luke and that are, um, that are just beautiful and gripping and wonderful. Stories like the prodigal son, boy Jesus in the temple, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, Mary's Magnificat, which is, is like prayed in morning prayer throughout the world every day. Uh, and we have the story like the road to Emmaus, which is um, a meaningful story to many of us after Jesus is resurrected and finds these two people on the road talking about how, um, how disappointed they were that Jesus died and he walks alongside them and retells the whole of the Old Testament to them and says, it's me, you know, um, which is such a wonderful, wonderful story that Luke gives us. Another important characteristic of Luke that, the, uh, that I think is worth saying is that it's really slow, it's meant to like kind of plod along and drag you with it a little bit. And that's like this study thing. You know, it's meant to be like sat with and pondered and studied. One of the things that happens over, go, over again in this gospel, which I just like, this is just like a nugget for you, is this Greek word that translates into something like, and it came to pass. It's probably not going to be in your version. It'll be something more like normal people would say. Um, but, and it came to pass happens over and over again. And it's this way of the gospel writer kind of being like, and then it just so happened that Jesus went to this lake and started teaching. It's almost like if you were sitting with someone who is very, very old and telling you about their life. And then this thing happened, which, if you remember, is very different from the Gospel of Mark, which is in a hurry. It's in a rush. So just to give you those two, I think Luke and Mark are really interesting to put next to one another with how slow and steady and intentional Luke is and how rushed and urgent and excited Mark is, and they're both really, really good, but that kind of contrasts these two Gospels for you. 
Luke also really emphasizes Jesus' journey to the cross. Jesus, it says in chapter 9, that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. And from then on, you're going with Jesus on this journey all the way to the cross. And it's slow. It takes a long time, as opposed to some of the other Gospels. In Luke, it takes a very long time to get there. He tells a lot of stories in between. It's where you see after chapter 9 most of the stuff that's unique to Luke. He basically thinks, um, you know, now that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem, let me give you my favorite stories about Jesus. Let me tell you what he was really like once he had set his face towards his ultimate destiny. And that's when he gives us those stories. He wants us to follow Jesus all the way to the cross, and he gives us these little details about Jesus and about his life and who he was and what he did day in and day out so that we can see him like as though we were watching a documentary about him. Things like um, following him through the ups and downs of his ministry, watching him go away to pray over and over again, seeing his joy and his tears, listening to his teaching, watching him heal. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to like slowly plod along with Luke this year and walk with Jesus all the way to the cross, see what Luke has to say to us in this gospel. So this moment we just read about is Jesus' first big moment in his ministry in Luke's gospel. Each gospel writer does this. You may remember this from last year. We talked about Mark's. Um, but there's this moment kind of, you know, Jesus is born, he gets baptized, and then goes into the wilderness to be tempted, and then he comes out and he does something. And it's different in each one. And um, it says something in each of these stories. So these are sort of like Old Testament call stories. Like they're very important moments in the gospel. They tell you where the gospel writer is leading you to. He's, he's telling you where we're going and what Jesus' life was like and what his purpose was based on this one moment, um, teacher moment. Anybody know what it is in Matthew? Somebody's got to know. No. Well, yes. Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Um, and John, we heard, learned about it last week. Water into wine, anybody? Yeah, okay. Um, Mark, no one will remember because no one, no one cares about Mark but me. Um, sermon in the synagogue, casting out the demon-possessed man. I love that Jesus. I call him Jesus the demon slayer. I think he's great. And then Luke, we have this one. It's Luke's uh, sermon in the synagogue in, in Nazareth. Uh, this moment is setting the perspective of what the rest of the gospel is going to be. So that's what we're going to do with the rest of our time today. And obviously, we don't have a ton of time to do it. So we're going to kind of go through these points. But what I'll say is that these are the things, if this is what's setting out the rest of what we're studying in the gospel for the rest of the year, these are the things that we're going to come back to over and over again. And if you want to study Luke along with us this year, these are good things to write down. And just remember that every time you come to a story that may feel confusing or out of place or just that you have questions about, if you come back to these points, they can help pull you back in to what Jesus is doing in the gospel of Luke. So Jesus is in his hometown at a local synagogue. So he's where he grew up. He's at his home church, if that resonates with any of you all. And uh, he, he, it's his turn to read the scroll. So he gets up and he opens the scroll to Isaiah. It's given to him to read and he reads the text that the spirit has anointed him to do all of these things. He rolls up the scroll. He sits down. All eyes turn on to him. And they know something is different. Something has just happened. And he says to all of them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, saying, this is me. This is my job description I just read. So what is this text telling us about the rest of the gospel, who Jesus is and what it means to follow him? We're going to look at four things, the first of which is 
Jesus is telling us, sorry, Luke is telling us that Jesus is now the lens through which we understand, see, read everything. The Old Testament is important to each gospel writer in their own way. And for Luke, what that means is the events of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection are meant to be the center of how we now think about everything, how we understand God's posture towards us. And in particular, how we read and understand the Old Testament, the story of God, is now seen through the lens of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Jesus, in this moment, unrolls the scroll and turns to Isaiah, this text, this old ancient text that he even he studied um, throughout his life, as well as the people gathered together in that room. They knew these scriptures. They were looking for this person, this Messiah. This is a common text read back then because they were there all day, every day at the temple, fingers crossed, saying, I hope this is the day. Is this the day for us to see him, to see the Messiah? And they have this pivotal moment where the world changed. I wish I could be a fly in the wall in this, this synagogue on this day where Jesus is saying, this thing that you have read and hoped for is, is here, and it's me. All your longings can be directed towards me. So Jesus is now... Luke is telling us the lens through which we see the whole story. He's at the center of everything. He's what we call the telos, what everything has been pointing to and is pointing to and will continue to point to for all of eternity. That is who Jesus is. In Revelation 22, 5, uh, it says in the end, when Jesus comes back to live and reign with us, the text says, we won't need the light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and by him we will see everything. And that's what Luke is saying here in this moment. That's this story that he's telling of this, this first moment in ministry of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus now needs to be, ought to be, the light through which you see everything. It's like a light has been turned on in your life, and it's Jesus, and he's now how you see everything. He's inviting us into a posture in which we ask that question of ourselves. Is Jesus the way I see everything? Is the lens of Jesus always before me, or is it only when I'm at home reading my Bible? Or is it only when I am with these group of friends, but not these other ones, and not at work, or whatever the case may be? Is Jesus the lens through which you see everything? Has the light been turned on in your life? Luke wants us to ask that question and to begin to see everything through Jesus and through his story. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is the energizing center of everything in God's kingdom. Like I said in the beginning, Luke mentions the Holy Spirit as many as the other Gospels combined. And already in this uh, Gospel from the point where which we are now, the Spirit has been present. And not just present, but has been the source of Jesus' life and ministry. And everything that Jesus has done has been because the Holy Spirit has done it for and with him. So Spirit so far in this book has spoken over Jesus at his baptism. The Spirit has... Uh, pushed Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested and walked alongside him through that whole journey and has now empowered him to come into this moment as we read, to come into this moment in his ministry and begin the work. And then Jesus himself says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim all of these things. The spirit is there. He's the energizing center of all that Jesus is doing in his life. The spirit claims, tests, and empowers Jesus. There's this Greek word for what the spirit is. It's paraclete. 
and it means one who comes alongside, the helper. And what, one of my most favorite things about this gospel is that you see it here more than any of the other ones, um, this relationship that Jesus has with the Spirit, that there is, there is no denying the connection that Jesus and the Spirit have and the ways in which Jesus tends to that connection, is constantly talking about the Spirit and how he is doing what he is doing because of the Spirit. And then you watch him actually go out and pray and engage with the Spirit in this gospel. And so the question for us is, are we living a life with the help of the Holy Spirit? Is the Spirit the energizing center of your life? And I think a more specific and particular question is, are you a person of prayer? Because that is the way in which we become people of the Spirit. If you want to be energized by the Spirit, if you want to hear from the Spirit of God, if you want to experience the gifts of the Spirit and the outpouring of those gifts from yourself, you have to be a person of prayer. It's how we sink in and engage with the Spirit in the same way that Jesus did. And that's the cool thing about this story is that Jesus did not do any of this without the help of the Spirit. And you can't either. So if he needed the Spirit in order to be empowered and to do the works of his ministry, so do you. And so we do that by becoming people of prayer. So we're going to talk a lot about prayer this year as well. So number three, Jesus came for the marginalized. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, period. End of sentence. And of course, he goes on to say these other things, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. This is really important. Jesus came to reverse the system as it stands, he is saying here, with powerful people at the top and then disenfranchised at the bottom. The good news of Jesus is he came to right-size that. The Spirit has anointed me to do this, Jesus says here. What I love about the gospel and the truth of the gospel is that it's not wishful thinking and it's not the best case scenario for you and for me and for the world. It's the right-sizing, redemptive power of God come to make the world right through Jesus and through you and me, through the church. Whatever is said in this gospel, um, because Luke also wrote Acts, I forgot to say that at the beginning, he wrote the book of Acts about the birth of the church, Whatever happens in this gospel, whatever we see in this gospel Jesus doing is not just an invitation for you and me as disciples to do in our own individual lives. It is a call to the church, the capital C church, what it looks like for us as a body, which we are together as one to do in the world for God. So the question for us is, can we be close to Jesus if we are not close to the poor? If I'm not in proximity to those on the margins of society, if I'm not using my privilege to directly benefit those who do not have that same privilege, can we have proximity to the one who came to bring good news to the poor if we are not then in proximity to the poor? I think it's a really important question for our church. Thirdly, fourth, fourth, yeah. You're like, not another third. <laughs> With the coming of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit upon the church, we are now living in the year of the Lord's favor. And I don't just mean 2022. Obviously, we're not. Like, it's, it's not any different. I mean, like, the year, capital T, capital Y, you know, like the age in which we are living in, we are now living in the year of the Lord's favor. 
Jesus said at the very end of all of these wonderful things that he said he came to do. He said he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what this means is he's hearkening back to this really old idea called the year of jubilee that we see as a command in Leviticus 25, a commandment for the people of God. What was meant to happen is after seven times of living out seven years. So what's that for you math people? 49, yeah, great. After that, in the 50th year, you're supposed to live as a community a year called the Jubilee year. Um, And unfortunately, it doesn't look as though historically it was ever actually lived out. But what this year was meant to be, and you can understand why when I give you the description, what it's meant to be is a year of forgiveness. That's what Jesus' ministry is like. Jubilee is meant to be every 50 years the debts are forgiven, all debts totally forgiven, no matter what, all forgiven. People are to return home. So wherever they have gone in the world for whatever reason, they are meant to return to their home, their homeland, their home place. All slaves are set free. No questions asked. Property that was bought up by the rich just in the way that society moves and and just occurs, all of that property was to be given back to whoever owned it originally, whoever's land it was to begin with. So it like allows the systems of economics to like move about and do their thing and the rich accumulate things, but every 50 years, it doesn't matter. It all goes back to the people who claimed it, who owned it originally. And this is a way to give people who, uh, who lost their land, their land back, but also to give it then as an inheritance to their children. It was supposed to give all people a way to give something to their children in a world in which that wasn't necessarily the case. It leveled the playing field economically and socially for all of God's covenant people. And Jesus here is saying, in my coming now, all of us now live in the year of Jubilee. That's what we're being called into, the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. That's what Jesus is saying. The inauguration of his ministry is he's proclaiming, this is it. Here it is. (laughs) We're living in it. So our lives, in particular, the life of the church, is meant to be defined by these things that he's saying, of ministering to the poor, of releasing the captives, slaves set free, um, right-sizing things economically and socially, letting the oppressed go free. He's saying, to be in my kingdom looks this way in a very physical and very real reality, which is something that we have to talk about. (laughs) How do we do this as a church? But it's also worth naming that it's not just these things physically and like in our tangible world that, that ought to be addressed and need to be addressed, but Jesus is always a man of the heart and saying that these things must happen in your heart and outside of your heart. We need to be people of forgiveness. That's what the year of Jubilee is telling us. We are participating in the year of Jubilee and in the ministry of Jesus when we for- extend forgiveness to someone, to one another. When I am able to say to someone who, I, who has wronged me to look them in the face and say, you no longer owe me for what you did. I'm releasing you. You are set free. And the beautiful thing about Jesus and what he does is that not only sets that person free, but sets me free. That's the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, is that we are forgiveness people. And I think the word that Jesus is saying to us too is if we, are, if we are people who find ourselves in the category of wealthy, well-off, rich, which arguably all of us are, 
that we need to ask lots of questions about our budgets, where our money is going, what we are, how we are stewarding our lives. But also the call to us then is that we ought to also be rich in generosity, rich in forgiveness, rich in belief in other people. If we are going to be wealthy in one way, we had better in the kingdom of God be wealthy in these other ways. And we can because of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done in our world and in us, the way that he lived, he has endless riches of goodness to come into your heart to help you live like him, even if you're wealthy. It's the gift of the Spirit. I am living in the year of the Lord's favor defines the kind of life you and I are called to live. Free to forgive. Free to obey even. And I really want to live like a free person, you know? Not like an America free person, but the kind of person who is free enough to forgive. Freed from the slavery of my habits that keep me less of the person that I want to be. Less of the kind of person that loves and seeks out those who actually need Jesus. Free to not live my life for me. That's Jesus' freedom the freedom to stop asking questions about myself and start looking towards other people. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and it's here, you guys. This is it. We are living in the year of Jubilee, and the spirit is here to be our advocate, our guide, our help, and our God to live in this way, to begin to come together as a community and ask, how do we do this? How do we be the kind of church that says the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do all of these things, to proclaim the good news, to release people, to forgive, to minister to the poor? And that's our challenge this year. That's where we're going this year. It's where we want to go with the spirit in this gospel. And I just invite you all to come there with us. And if you want to, to study with us. Amen? Amen. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.